Hello, everybody. Andrew Holacek here again, and I am really excited to be able to spend the next hour or so with one of the most, um, I think, innovative thinkers in the realm of lucid dreaming and psychedelics, David J. Brown. And so, as usual, I will read a brief introduction uh, about who David really is, and then uh, no shortage of rich material to talk about. So, David J. Brown is an American writer, interviewer, and consciousness researcher. He is the author of popular book of the popular book on dreaming, Dreaming Wide Awake, Lucid Dreaming, Psychedelics, and Shamanic Healing, and has been viewed interviewed widely on the subject. David has a master's degree in psychobiology from New York University and is the author of over a dozen books. He has appeared on numerous TV shows, podcasts, and radio shows, and is the co-author of six best-selling volumes of interviews with leading-edge thinkers, including Mavericks of the Mind and Frontiers of Psychedelic Consciousness. So, David, thank you so much, my friend, for spending a little bit of time with us. We're really excited to have you. Oh, thank you. It's a real pleasure to be here. I want to um, tell just a, a little bit about your book, uh, because I was really captured and captivated by the uniqueness, the the scope, the depth, the research, the, the courage, um, the outrageous qualities at some points. And, and really, I, there's no single book that I'm aware of that casts such a wide net. I mean, you talk about, here's just a brief um, kind of peppering for our listeners. You talk about out-of-body experiences and their relationship to lucidity principle, near-death experiences, obviously psychedelics. We'll talk quite a bit about that today. Um, parallel universes, quantum mechanics and consciousness, sensory deprivation, phantom limbs, time dilation, and uh, that's just the start. And so um, I want to begin with just a, a brief paragraph that you wrote in your book that I thought is a wonderful kind of overview of the text to give readers a better sense of what you present here. And then I think, obviously, when we start talking about this, they'll get a really clear sense. So this is what you say in the introduction. What this book offers to the community of established lucid dreamers that is missing from other wonderful books on the subject is a deeper exploration of the relationship between psychedelics, herbs, drugs, nutritional supplements, and lucid dreaming. We'll be looking at the interface of shamanic experiences with visionary plants and psychedelic drugs and guided intentional lucid or interpreted dreaming to see how both can be used for healing the body and the mind. Um, and so what really struck me as I, as I looked, you know, kind of the 50,000-foot view upon your book is that the, your topics that you cover are really as fluid as the sense of reality that I'm left with when I finish this book. And I have to say I, I find that utterly refreshing because, um, you know, as you know, with your background, your own background in neuroscience, one of the hot topics over the last several decades has been this notion of neuroplasticity. Um, I think what your book portrays, which I'm a really big fan of, is the kind of the plastic nature of reality altogether. And that all these different agents that you explore are ways to really glimpse different dimensions of this reality. And, and so I want to start, um, David, if I might, with with an overarching kind of frame for this, that I want to see how this lands with you. And that is that, to me, the, the, you know, over my many decades of, of meditation experience, lucid dreaming, and just a little bit of traffic with the psychedelics, um, what I've come to discover is that 
this is the altered state. What, what we know as so-called waking consciousness, this is actually the altered state. And I believe that things like psychedelics, meditation, lucid dreaming, and these other modalities, they really open the aperture of our consciousness, provide glimpses to the underlying natural state. And so in a certain sense, we've kind of got the nomenclature a little bit backwards. You know, we, we talk about altered states. I, I, I think, and I wonder how this lands with you, that what you write about so beautifully really are, are intimations of the actual natural state. Um, and therefore, that's where their, their great potential lies. You know, they, they punch through the constructed kind of machinations of our um, fabricated views, our confabulations about reality, and actually point out the, the truer nature of things. So does, it, does this resonate? Is this a fair assessment of where your experiences have taken you over your many years of exploring and studying this stuff? Um, gosh, well, there was a lot in that. Let me see what I can okay. respond to so, that. Sorry. First of all, th thank you very much for, for the kind words about my book and for being able to grasp and understand what I was trying to accomplish with it. I was trying really hard to be both comprehensive in my study of lucid dreaming and also to integrate it with psychedelic research, which has never been done before. And I could not believe that no one had ever put those two together when the connection seemed so obvious to me. Um, what you're asking about in terms of consciousness, I, I think maybe what you mean by the more natural state is, I guess, the less conditioned state, yeah, exactly. you know, be, you know, prior um, to all the social conditioning we, we get as, a, as children, we're in a state, I guess, of more purity, of a more pure consciousness, and that kind of consciousness can be attained through meditation and different types of spiritual practices and, and psychedelics. And I, I guess maybe that that's more natural. Um, I, I think the word altered state is, I mean, I use the word myself sometimes, but I think it's not really the best way to describe these states of consciousness. I really like Stan Groff's uh, term, uh, non-ordinary states. Oh, yes, exactly. Right. That, that, just, that just sort of just instead of trying to categorize one as being normal and one as being unnormal and, you know, what is natural, um, the ordinary state of consciousness that, that we're in, waking consciousness, whether it's socially conditioned um, or whether it's natural or not, um, is, is, is definitely something that um, is highly uh, programmed by society, by our DNA, by so many different things, state of unity or non-dual consciousness or connection to the divine or um, a, a unification with the universal mind of the universe and, or something like that. And I think maybe that's what you're getting at when you say the, the more natural state and, and that the ordinary waking state of consciousness that we're in is actually a kind of socially conditioned hallucination and delusion of sorts? I think that's it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, as Anil Seth, you know, this kind of consensual hallucination that, that we attribute um, mistakenly to be really the natural course of things when it's really not the course of things. I guess I was an interest in the occult and the supernatural and the fantastic that you know led me into an interest in meditation and Eastern philosophy. I began transcendental meditation when I was 14, 
And um, I started using cannabis and LSD when I was uh, in high school. And within a couple of days after my first LSD trip, I spontaneously had a, a lucid dream, my, my first lucid dream. Maybe I should just explain just to your audience, and I'm sure everybody mostly knows, but a lucid dream is when you become aware and awake in a dream while it's actually happening. Mm-hmm. So you can influence what happens in the dream. I mean, normally what we do is we we confuse the the waking state with the dream state. In other words, when we're dreaming, we think that we're actually awake when we're really dreaming. And when we're lucid dreaming, we know that we're dreaming. We know our body is safe and sound, sleeping off far away in some other dimension, and that we can take advantage of the fact that this new world that we're in doesn't have any social or biological consequences that we have to have to deal with. So, um, so that's what lucid dreaming is. I had my first spontaneous lucid dream a couple of days after um, having an LSD trip. And um, since then, I've been exploring consciousness in, in many different ways using sensory deprivation tanks. I worked in an isolation tank center. I began studying psychobiology and during, doing neuroscience research. And I had experimented on myself with, with psychedelics. And in the, I guess it was in the in the late 80s, I met um, Stephen LaBerge. Oh, yeah. Wonderful. My friend Oscar Janiger, who is a who's a psych, who is a psychiatrist doing LSD and creativity research, and I met Stephen LeBurst through him, and that's when I discovered um, what lucid dreaming really was. I, I had them spontaneously, but never really understood what I could do with them or the potential, and I never understood that there were techniques that one can practice that increase the probability of having a lucid dream. And it was from Stephen LeBerge, uh, conversations with him. I interviewed him. Um, we did a we did a, a presentation together once, and um, I really learned a lot about uh, lucid dreaming and began practicing the techniques more and more um, over the years. And I've had around, I guess, 25, 30 years of experience with lucid dreaming. Some periods where I go into it very intensely, as you probably know, it's it's something that if you want to have lucid dreams regularly, you have to practice the techniques regularly. It's 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 more like um, like an athletic ability yep. than it is like riding a bicycle. In other words, it's not something you just learn how to do and then you can do it and you can keep doing it. You got to keep practicing the techniques, like asking yourself, "Am I dreaming right now?" and taking a reality test and, and doing that every every you know every hour mm-hmm. regularly, things like that. Um, you know, waking up three hours before you normally wake up, uh, doing some things to, you know, get your mind engaged and then uh, going back to sleep. And that increases the probability of having a lucid dream. There are different supplements you can take. Um, Kalia Zakatiki is one of them, um, Velvet Bean, um, different supplements that help people have lucid dreams. So, um Gosh, I forgot what the question was, but there are all there are all these uh, all these wonderful ways to increase the probability of uh, of having a lucid dream. Yeah, no, it, it was really just that, like how you got into it. And so, with, with that said, you know, for for our listeners, I think one of the strongest parts of David's book that I, I learned so much about was not only your exhaustive research, but your your brave um, personal experience with so many of these supplemental agents, not not just the psychedelics these entheogens, but, but all the other, um, well, some of the agents that you just mentioned and all the others like galantamine, of course, which is probably the most 
famous popular one these days. And so with all that said, David, if if you had to have a lucid dream, so like you're you're in Steven's lab and you know that you're all hooked up and you absolutely positively have to have a lucid dream tonight. I'm curious, what what is your go-to technique? Because I'm sure your experience probably resonates with mine that one of the really fascinating parts of lucid dreaming is it's it's uh it's not a one size fits all enterprise. We we all have our uh, idiosyncrasies and, sure. and you know, kind of different sweet spots where all these different methods really come into play. Um, but I'm always really curious, especially with kind of elite level dreamers like yourself, if you absolutely positively have to have a lucid dream, uh, what what do you do? Yeah, there's there's a number of techniques. I, I find that it's the the combination of techniques that works the best. There's no one thing that is always works for me every, every time. Um, it's, it's, it's combining the techniques that seems to work the best. So, uh, what I do, um, the number one technique, um, that I think helps the most is getting in the habit of asking yourself the question, am I dreaming right now? Yeah, beautiful. Yeah. And when you ask yourself that question, you have to, you have to sincerely think about it and take a reality test. You can't just say, Oh, of course I'm not dreaming because you're going to get into the habit of saying, Oh, of course I'm not dreaming. And you'll carry that habit over into the dream itself. You'll be dreaming and you'll say, Am I dreaming? And you'll say, Of course I'm not dreaming. What you have to do is you have to take a reality test. That's right. A really simple reality test is simply looking at a, a book or something with printed um, letters on it and look at what it says. Look, remember what it says, look away and look back in a dream. The words will almost always change every single time. Uh, another really easy reality test is to try pinching your nostrils closed and breathing through your nostrils. Um, you should do this every hour, mm-hmm. every that set your alarm, you know, a little alarm to take to take a reality test. Ask yourself, am I dreaming right now? Take the test and get into the habit of doing that. And you're dreaming around around 10 percent of the day. So if you get into the habit of doing that, you have a one in 10 chance of being correct when you ask that question. Am I dreaming right now? So that's one of the main techniques that I've used. Mm-hmm. Another very, very important technique is is starting to increase your dream recall in general by keeping a, a dream journal. It's very, very important to start writing down your dreams the moment you wake up. Even if you can't, you know, remember anything more than a few snippets, just write those snippets down. And if you can't even remember those, just write down how you feel. And you'll find that the more um, the more attention that you give to the dreams and the more attempts you make to recall it, the more you will recall and the more it's like building a muscle yes. and you remember your dreams better and better. Um, and finally, the, the third technique when I, you know, I say combining these things, the third technique that, that I really utilize when I really want a lucid dream is I mentioned this earlier is, is to wake up around uh, three hours earlier than you normally wake up. Um, and this is because um, as you're sleeping through the night and you cycle through the different stages of sleep, the amount of time that you spend in REM, uh, the rapid eye movement stage of sleep, when you're most actively dreaming, increases more and more and more throughout the night. So people dream more and more uh, towards the morning. And so if you wake up around three hours before you normally do, get up, do a little bit of exercise, not too much because you want to find that right balance where you can go back to sleep, do some reading, do something to engage your mind, and then go back to sleep. And then while you're going back to sleep, 
repeat to yourself the phrase, the next time I'm dreaming, I want to remember to recognize that I'm dreaming. Just keep repeating that like a mantra or imagine a previous dream that you've had and imagine yourself becoming lucid in that dream while you're falling asleep. If you practice just those just those three simple techniques, and there's many more, and there's nutritional supplements that you can take that also help. There's many different – just I wouldn't be surprised if some of the members of your listening audience had a lucid dream tonight because just talking about exactly. it and thinking about it helps to increase the probability of having a lucid dream. But it's really combining these different techniques and practicing them regularly that will that will allow someone to, to have a lucid dream. Um, I don't know that I can ever have one completely on demand. Um, I, I can increase the probability of having it and pretty much make it happen within a few days. Yeah. But, it, but it's very hard. Um, for me, at least for me, to be able to do it on demand. Although I, I know people that can. I mean, I, I know someone, Bruce Damer, he's a, an engineer for, for NASA, and he's able to, to lucid dream on command. I mean, he can just he can just go into a lucid dream just by closing his eyes, basically. Yeah, some some people do seem to have that talent. And and you know, Evan Thompson interviewed a woman who, when she heard about lucid dreams was actually surprised to hear that there was any other kind of dream. Allegedly, all her dreams were lucid. So it seems like people really do have certain talents. I also want to throw in here, David, it's interesting, your your number one approach when you say, uh, you know, kind of question the status of your reality by asking, am I dreaming? That's the central tip from Padmasambhava, you know, who's the great master who brought Buddhism from India to Tibet and wrote a lot about uh, dream yoga and, the, and you know the daytime practice of illusory form and and so he basically says exactly that that the principal approach um, in addition to meditation and actually the principal antidote or remedy for many of the obstacles of lucid dreaming is in fact that kind of questioning of the status of one's reality so that's super cool that you would say that so talk to us a little bit if you would David about about some of these agents because uh, these substances because outside of galantamine most people really aren't that aware of all the other um, agents that you write about. So talk to us a little bit about the ones that you've had the best luck with, um, kind of things to be, you know, promise and peril of these sorts of things, what to look out for in terms of traps and all that. Yes, I'd, I'd be most delighted. Let me, be, before I talk about the nutritional supplements and, and herbal and dietary uh, supplements. Let me just say also that uh, I, I'm very fascinated by the connection between uh, lucid dreaming and, and Tibetan Buddhism um, and its ability to teach us. I mean, one of the things that you realize when you're lucid dreaming is the illusory nature of exactly. the dream. Right. You realize that your mind is, is creating, you know, the world around you. And philosophically, you can then apply that to your experience of the world right now. I mean, because when you see that your mind can create a solid world, it feels and touch and smells and everything is realistic as what we think of as the waking world. If you see that in a dream and realize just how powerful that is, it makes you question the, 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 whether or not this reality couldn't be constructed in a very similar way. So it helps you see through the illusory nature of the, of reality on both dreaming and waking. Nutrient supplements, herbals, 
um, different herbs and different drugs. Um, I devoted a whole chapter in my, in my book. And, um, like you, like you said, I, I bravely, um, tried all these different substances and explored, um, what they did. Um, I found a couple of substances that, that seemed to definitely enhance, um, my dream recall, um, the vividness of my dreams. And, um, and the strangeness of my dreams without really increasing my, um, you know, my lucidity. And, uh, the, 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 the two herbs that really fit most into that category were, um, Kalia Zacatiki, which is the, the Mexican dream herb, and, uh, Siline Capensis, which is the, uh, African uh, dream herb. Um, they've both been used for hundreds of years by uh, indigenous people. They seem to have a very uh, high safety profile. Um, no one has ever overdosed and died from from either one of them, and any or gotten you know, or gotten even sick that I know of. So they're very safe. They're in um, most uh, health food stores. Uh, we'll carry them or can order them or you can buy them online. But um, I personally didn't have much success with those as uh, lucid dream stimulants. Um, another herb that falls similarly into that category is, uh, is mugwort, which is, um, which is also uh, known to change the, the nature of dreams. And um, it did that for me again, increased the vividness of my dreams. And this one actually did help to increase my ability to have lucid dreams. I had a number of dreams with mugwort, but um, after the the big warning with mugwort is that it seems to also have this quality that makes the dreams more dark and, and more forceful in some way. And, and I'm not the only one who reports this. I've spoken to at least a half dozen people who have had similar experiences with mugwort. So it does, you know, change your dreams. A lot of people consider it, um, uh, you know, helping to increase paranormal experiences and astral projection and, um, and that sort of thing. It seems to increase the probability of uh, sleep paralysis when you, um, when you are, uh, when you're, body is still asleep but your mind awakens and it can be a very frightening experience we can talk about that more later but that can also become a, a springboard for for lucid dreaming um, when you have a, a sleep paralysis experience but but mugwort uh, tends to increase uh, sleep paralysis um, the herb that i found to be um, the most helpful um, was something called velvet bean which is uh, which is used in ayurvedic medicine and it's uh, an herb that contains an amino acid called l-dopa which is a, a precursor right. or a precursory chemical to um to dopamine in the brain which is an excitatory neurotransmitter or, or brain chemical that stimulates uh, the brain and um it's that higher level of dopamine when you're asleep and dreaming, that seems to not only increase uh, the vividness of the dream and uh, the action potential of the dream, but um, for me, it also, uh, I've had just, just whole mornings of going in and out of lucid dreams after using velvet beans. So that I found to be um, one of the, the most successful. Um, that's also available in, in health food stores and easily online. Um, 
The um, only danger of that really is that it should never be combined with, with stimulants, uh, anything else that's stimulating, because uh, dopamine is already a stimulant. But um, surprisingly, it doesn't interfere with my sleep very much, and I'm very sensitive to stimulants. So the, the small amount of L-dopa just seems to stimulate my dreams without stimulating my, my body um, too much. Um, vitamin B6 um, is also shown to increase uh, dream recall um, significantly. People who have uh, low vitamin B6 levels um, suffer from, from a lack of dream recall. Um, vitamin B6 should never be combined with um, with uh, tryptophan or 5-HTP, 5-hydroxytryptophan, which is a, a very common uh, sleep aid. So that's something people need to, to be, to watch out for because um, it can possibly cause uh, cardiovascular complications. So that's something that, that shouldn't be combined. Um, you mentioned earlier, uh, galantamine that for many people is the holy grail yeah. of, of, of lucid dream, you know, um, enhancement drugs. It's a, it's actually a cognitive enhancer. It's a drug. Um, it's derived from a plant, but it's, a, it's actually a drug that is used to treat senile dementia and uh, cognitive impairment. It's, uh, it's considered a, one of these smart drugs or, or a cognitive enhancer. Yeah, um, people use it to increase concentration throughout the day. It increases acetylcholine levels in the brain, which is uh, also a stimulatory neurotransmitter similar to, to dopamine and uh, helps with, uh, with memory recall. And um, for a lot of people, a lot of people report that um, between four and eight milligrams of galantamine before bed will produce a lucid dream for them every single time. I mean, it's just it works like 100% of the time for some people. Right, yeah. um, I have to say my own personal experience, unfortunately, was extremely disappointing. Um, I was never able to sleep on galantamine. I tried it around four times um, at different dosages, and, and each time it was just too stimulating for me to sleep on. It just, it was like drinking, you know, two cups of coffee, yeah. even at the lowest dose. So I was just never able to fall asleep on it. So unfortunately, galantamine didn't work for me, but, but it, it is very safe. Um, it's available on Amazon. You can just, you know, buy it, buy it on Amazon. And, um, and I think if you're really interested in lucid dreaming and, um, you know, interested in trying these supplements, that's one that, that's, um, that's incredibly effective for for a lot of people um i also um talk about the relationship with with psychedelics yeah which is something that um has not been really discussed in any other lucid dream book ever before right i, I have never seen people make the connection and you know I, i've been i worked with uh, maps yeah multidisciplinary association for psychedelic studies for years i've been very, very interested in psychedelic drug research. And, and I realized there was an interesting association between psychedelics and a lot of subjects that people didn't want to touch between psychedelics and alternative medicine, between psychedelics and spirituality, between psychedelics and, and tantric yoga, between psychedelics and philosophy. I mean, there was just so many interesting connections and, you know, between psychedelics and UFO abductions. And, right. and a lot of times people don't, didn't want to talk about the relationship with psychedelics because 
Psychedelics, number one, are illegal. Um, they're highly stigmatized. And if people are talking about controversial subjects, something like lucid dreaming or tantric, you know, tantric yoga, which are controversial to begin with, the last thing they want right. to do is invite yeah. more controversy by associating <laughs> it with psychedelics, right? No kidding. So, so I think that's why over the years, there has been this kind of distance from psychedelics. But but I noticed, um, like I said, my very first lucid dream experience happened a couple of days after doing LSD. And um, it's extremely common after uh, people do ayahuasca, the uh, shamanic brew down that are very um, commonly used down in the Amazon as a as a healing as a healing medicine and ceremony. And um, it's uh, within a, a day or two of, of having an ayahuasca experience, a very high percentage of people report lucid dream experiences. It also happens with uh, with ibogaine, with uh, with MDMA. It's reported um, so with with a lot of these psychedelic drugs. For some reason, um, a couple of days after you do it, people have lucid dreams, and this is kind of a mystery as to why it happens. You know, I spoke to Stephen Labersh about it, and he thought it was just because, you know, his his answer to my question was that it just, you know, it just messed with your your sleep cycle, and when you mess with your sleep cycle, you know, sometimes you can, you know, it increases um, lucidity in dreams, and I don't think that's the case because I've messed with my sleep cycle with, you know, all kinds of other ways, staying up all night and different things, and and it didn't increase my probability of having lucid dreams. There, there's something specifically about psychedelic that seems to open up a part of the mind that's that's very similar to lucid dreaming. Um, they both put you in touch with parts of your mind where you're normally normally unconscious of. And I would almost say that you know, uh, uh, doing a psychedelic is like you know is like having dream experiences while you're awake right. and having a lucid dream is like having a waking experience while you're dreaming. Right. So they're kind of you know kind of cross blending those uh those two different states of consciousness and the psychedelics you know do it from the waking state bring you into dreaming awareness and the, you know the lucid dream brings you from the lucid state into the waking state but many people describe a lucid dream as being something like a psychedelic experience people have mystical and spiritual experience and transformations as a result of, of their lucid dreams um you know, uh, one of the, you know, I mean, the reason it's been used in, in, in Buddhism for so many years is, is they believe that it's, it's training for, for enlightenment and training for, you know, preparation for what happens after we die. That, uh, they, you know, Tibetan Buddhists believe that we go into the bardos, which is an in-between realm between, uh, between death and our next rebirth. And uh, that realm is very much like dreaming, and that by by lucid dreaming throughout our life, we um, we you know we we build up practice to be able to uh, stay conscious uh, during that state uh, after we die, and then can can navigate and uh, into a into a more fruitful uh, more fruitful next life. Yeah. Well, what a what a rich offering here, David. And I mean, so much to say. I mean, just briefly at the very end. They, they literally, in the Tibetan tradition, they, they refer to the bardos uh, as the dream at the end of time. Um, and so it's exactly as you say. In fact, Padmasambhava, once again, the guy I was referring to earlier, this is an archetypal no number. So 
obviously we shouldn't reify it, but he says that if one attains lucidity seven times, which is really a suggestion of some some constancy in lucidity, that that one will be completely prepared for what's called in particular the bardo becoming. Because as you're saying, it's a when you're in the dreaming state, it's a highly concordant state of what allegedly the bardos are going to be like. And and really, David, for me, I backed into uh, lucid dreaming and dream yoga through my pretty exhaustive study and practice of, of bardo yoga, because the literature was constantly talking about dream yoga within that context. In fact, Kempo Kartar and others say that dream yoga came about principally as a way to prepare for death. So um, I think you're absolutely spot on with that. But I want, to, I want to return to one or two things here just for our listeners, because your, your expertise here really shines when, when it comes to these agents. Um, so backpedaling just a little bit to the legal substances, and then I really want to come back to the psychedelics. But how would you recommend people work with this? Like, for instance, you said, you know, you tried galantamine four times, not a lot a lot of luck. So with your own personal experience and perhaps those of, of the other onironauts that you've worked with, what kind of recommendations do you give to people that really have this kind of predisposition and say, you know, I really want to go this route? How often should they stick with a substance? What What are some general guidelines for how to play with these sorts of things? Yeah, I, I go into in my book. I go into a little more detail with with uh, with some of those explanations. But um, like I, I said earlier, I think it's it's the combination of different techniques. So, but you know, it's 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 combining. You know, asking yourself, "Am I dreaming right now?" Um, you know, waking up three hours, keeping a dream journal, using those in conjunction, and then every so often trying one of these different herbs. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, try 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 one at a time. Um, don't, you know, don't try more than, than one a week. Um, um, you know, be conscious of some of the contraindications that I, that I, I mentioned earlier. Um, and, um, some of the supplements are, are, are best taken. You know, I mentioned that you want to wake up three hours, um, earlier than you normally do to get your mind active. That sometimes is the best time to take the supplement, mm-hmm. not at night before you before you go to sleep, right. um, because it's going to have most of its action when you're in the the deeper stages of sleep and not as actively dreaming. So some of the substances that I mentioned earlier, like Kazia Zacatiki, the Mexican dream herb, or Siline Capensis, um, the African dream herb, they seem to be most effective uh, in terms of influence your dreams if you take them in that later portion of the night if you set your alarm clock and you know and take them around five in the morning if you're getting up at eight in the morning or something like that um, that seems to be the most effective way to uh, to use these substances and um, the other the other really important thing is to combine it with with meditation yeah um, just gonna go know. there perfect you're reading my mind yeah, because people who people who meditate uh, have more lucid dreams, and the more you meditate, the more lucid dreams you have, basically. And it's also important to mention, you know, we haven't really talked about this, but you know, I mean, it's it, there are all these things for attaining lucidity, but the biggest problem that people have is that they attain lucidity and they get so excited right. that they're lucid right. that you know, adrenaline rushes through their body and they wake up physically and they find themselves in bed just two seconds later. So, so the, this, the second, you know, thing you really have to learn is how to sustain 
the, the lucid dream state. And the most important thing is to learn to stay calm. And the most, you know, easiest way to do that is by learning meditation skills. So one of the things you want to do when you first become lucid in the lucid dream is stay calm and meditate. And you can actually meditate within the lucid dream. Right. You know, just sitting down in the dream and closing your eyes and you can have full blown psychedelic experiences, full blown experiences with non-duality consciousness by, by, by doing this. I'm sure you must have tried this if you're mm -hmm. in practicing dream yoga. It's a very, very powerful thing to do to, to meditate inside of the lucid dream. But um, but but really to get back to your question, I I think that you know um, I wouldn't try more than one of these substances a week, uh -huh. um, and I would make sure I'm, they're combined with the other techniques because it's not like you can just take a pill and have a lucid dream. It's really not like that. It's 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 a it's a it's a skill that requires you know learning and expertise on many different levels and you really have to practice the different techniques and then the the nutritional supplements sort of give you an extra boost at different times by by making your brain chemistry a little bit more um a little bit more prone to to lucid dreaming um lucid dreaming we know from the physiological studies that have been done the basic difference in your brain between a lucid dream state and a, and a normal dream state is there's an area um, if you put, you know, in the, on the left side of your brain, right in the very front near your forehead, it's called the prefrontal cortex. Right. And normally when you're, when you're asleep and dreaming, that area is, is lying dormant and inactive. And it's when that area wakes up, uh, while you're dreaming that, that people have lucid, lucid dreams. And, uh, we now actually have, there's a, a technology um, at the Max Planck Institute right. in Germany, they've developed a, a technique using something called transcranial brain stimulation. It's a, a mild electric current that's applied through the scalp, and they can directly stimulate the, the prefrontal cortex of the brain while people are asleep and dreaming. And when they do this, um, around 80 or 90 percent of people have lucid dreams. So we actually have the technology right now to, to lucid dream on command. It's just a matter of, um, miniaturizing and mass producing and, um, and making the technology less expensive. Exactly. But, um, it won't be long before, um, we have little, little lucid dream machines like your, like, like your iPhone. Yeah. Going to be an app on your iPhone. So have, have you, have you had the luxury, David, of trying the, the transcranial stimulators yourself? I haven't tried the transcranial stimulation. I did try a number of different uh, lucid dream electronic devices, though. Um, I have one called the, the REM Dreamer that worked um, pretty well. And this was a device that was originally designed by Stephen LeBerch. And uh, what it does is it has it's it's basically these 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 goggles that you wear when you go to sleep. Um, and the goggles contain um, little tiny circuits in the front of them that have motion detectors in them and they can detect when you're um, in the state of REM we mentioned earlier or the rapid eye movement stage of sleep when you're most actively dreaming and so the, the, the little circuit inside the goggles can detect when you're in REM and when it detects this it immediately starts flashing a very light um, LED um, that's not bright enough to uh, to wake you up, 
but it is bright enough to get incorporated into the dream. So it'll get incorporated into the dream as something flashing. Sometimes people see, you know, police lights or a strobe light or something shimmering, shining, you know, in some kind of way. And if you train yourself to, to remember that every time you see that, that means you're dreaming. That's one of the, one of the techniques. And at my experience working with it, I found it actually worked very well. Um, I don't know how much of it was a placebo effect. You know, I, I, I think also just putting it on and wearing it, right. uh, you know, and in and of itself um, increased the probability of having a lucid dream. Yeah. And, and I say that because the first time I used it, I used it incorrectly and I had a bunch of lucid <laughs> dreams that night. Yeah, that's perfect. <laughs> so, that's awesome. So, so, so a really, a really big part of, of lucid dreaming is the is the intention to yeah. have it, yeah. the desire. Yeah. Is uh, if you really, really want to have a lucid dream and practice these techniques, you you will. You yeah. will eventually I want to I want to put an exclamation point on that, David, because I I went to a dream yoga program a couple of years ago that Sogyal Rinpoche was one of my favorite um, kind of younger lamas teaching in the West, and and the only induction technique he gave was intention i mean that was it he goes like you know if you really intend it and you really believe it you're going to get these um, dreams and so expectation and lots of research has been around this is you know expectation itself is is tremendously effective in having these but let's let, let one more question about these supplements what is your experience david around um, um, diet altogether. Have, have you, I know there's all kinds of anecdotal information about tryptophan precursors and all that sort of thing, but both in your ex exhaustive research and in your personal experience, can you tell us a little bit about whether or not um, diet really plays a role, something that can be cultivated to help uh, bring about these brain states and, and initiate lucidity? You know, that's something I really didn't explore uh, too much in, in my research. Um, I, I, I did get reports from some people um, uh, that certain foods would, uh, would increase, uh, would enhance dream recall or, or make their dreams stranger. I heard from some people that cheese did it. Um, you know, dairy products, of course, contain tryptophan, which, which help you to sleep, um, more deeply. There, there's a type of fish. I can't remember the, the species of fish that's actually called the dream fish. And it actually has some kind of dream enhancing and psychedelic properties, um, that haven't been scientifically explained, but, uh, but are, but are well known in certain, certain areas of the world. Um, you know, Personally, I, I never really found much association between, um, between what I, you know, the different foods that I ate and, and the dreams that I had. But, uh, it would be a very, very interesting subject to explore. I think a whole paper could be written on it. I think it. so. Yeah. Real, real rich arena. So let's get back to psychedelics then, because that's another arena. You know, Michael Pollan's book is a bestseller. James Kingsland book, you know, Am I Dreaming is, is riffing on this. Your book is beautiful on it. Obviously, we have to be a little bit cautious here because, you know, now we're talking about Schedule 1 stuff, which is which is illegal. But, uh, you know, you should move to Colorado, my friend, because psilocybin at least has been decriminalized, right? So It's, so, it's been decriminalized here in my home. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, so we're slowly making some progress. But, yeah, of course, everything we're saying, we're not encouraging anybody to do anything illegal. We're exactly. just saying this purely for educational 
educational and informational purposes and encouraging people to go to places where psychedelics are legal. I encourage people to go down to the Amazon, to Aikido, to Peru, where, uh, where ayahuasca is not only legal, but it's considered sacred. It's been a sacred medicine there for, for hundreds or thousands of years even. I mean, it's been a long part of their, their cultural history. So there, there are some cultures in the world where, uh, where psychedelics have been, uh, been uh, deeply integrated. But, um, but, you know, as you know, they've, they've been uh, demonized, stigmatized. I mean, the, the media for the longest time, um, you know, either they ignored them or they ridiculed them or they demonized them and or, you know, in some kind of way. And it's only in you know the last since around 2008, you know, things started changing. And I, you know, credit my I wrote an article for Scientific American about all the new psychedelic research. And that was sort of the beginning of the change in the media. And now there's just one positive article after another. There, there has just been such a huge, dramatic change. Isn't it? And you know, Michael Pollan on Stephen Colbert talking about psychonautics. And I mean, these were, these are all things that were just so hush hush years ago and they're entering the mainstream. And, um, and I think that this is primarily because we're in a, we're in a crisis yeah. right now, an ecological crisis. And one of the things that psychedelics do is they help to increase ecological awareness, environmental awareness. And I think that there is nothing more important right now than increasing environmental awareness. So I think that there's some kind of a higher intelligence operating in nature that's proliferating psychedelic plants as the kind of hormone in the, in the global body to help get human beings uh, more sustainable and back on track. That's a lovely way of looking at it. So along yeah. these lines, and again, and thank you so much for putting this disclaimer because it really is important to do this sort of thing. But in your own experience, similar to the question about using the, the legal supplements, um, when, when one does go to Peru and the like where these um, substances are, legally available. What would you recommend in terms of working with these? Uh, and I, I have a follow-up question about this too. Um, actually, a, a question that's seated by a dear friend of mine who who had a, a recent ayahuasca experience that just completely radically transformed his life. So I, I'll get back to that in just a second. But the first question around this is similar to the one I had about the uh, legal substances, is how do you recommend people play around, explore with these agents in, in a legal um, arena? Um, well, I, I would never use the word play around okay. in, in describing um, psychedelics. I would take it very seriously. Um, they're, they're not really something to mess around with. They're extremely powerful agents. They can, they can change the way you believe everything about reality. Um, and they can transform your life in very positive or, or very negative ways. Um, I've seen both happen with people. Um, I would suggest if anyone is interested in doing a psychedelic, the most important thing is to read as much about it as you can first. Learn about other people's experiences. Learn about set and setting. That's the single most important thing in understanding psych psychedelics is that is that your 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 mental state and the environment that you do it in has an enormous effect on the experience. It's not simply like 
by taking a, a sedative or a stimulant that has a predictable effect on the biochemistry of the body. Uh, psychedelics are extremely unpredictable in the sense that they amplify what, whatever it is that you're feeling. Uh, Stan Groff called them uh, non-specific brain amplifiers. So whatever is going on, happy, sad, up, down, it's going to amplify it and make it more intense. Um, as a as a tool for exploring your mind, it's it's unparalleled in terms of giving you access to parts of your brain that you're normally unconscious of in states of consciousness that usually can only be achieved through through long, long, long um, attempts at meditation or sensory deprivation or, or things like that. They're very fast ways of reaching. Um, very, very high states of consciousness. Um, optimally, ideally, um, the way that somebody would, would want to try these things would either be to work with a shaman, someone who in Peru is well experienced with this and can guide you and be there for you if you're having difficulty and help to um, steer and help you to navigate the experience in a, in a positive healing direction, help you to use it as a, as a healing tool. That's one of the most powerful things psychedelics can be used for is for healing from trauma healing from different mental illnesses, post-traumatic stress disorder. Um, the other optimal way, of course, without a shaman is with a psychotherapist. Um, you know, we're now finally entering an age where, um, you know, where psychedelic psychotherapy is, is finally coming to fruition uh, thanks to MAPS. Um, in just a few years, it looks like MDMA um, is going to be the first legal psychedelic um, specifically um, legalized for use uh, for treating uh, post-traumatic stress disorder, where it's been shown to have about a, when combined with psychotherapy, it's been shown to have about an 80% um, success rate. And, uh, and that's with people who are treatment resistant to every other form of treatment. Right. So, so it's, it's remarkable. It, it's psychedelics have remarkable healing abilities when they're, when they're used, um, correctly. Um, so certainly, you know, reading as much about it, um, practicing meditation beforehand because you'd, that's one of the things you'd want to do on the psychedelic is, is to combine it with, uh, with a meditation or a spiritual practice. That's usually how you get the most out of it. Uh, doing it in nature is also important. Doing it in an environment where you won't be disturbed, where uh, you're with people that you completely trust 100%. Um, you trust them with your life. Um, and uh, and uh, read, read Albert Hoffman and read Stan Groff and, yeah. and read Timothy Leary and uh, and, uh, and, you know, and, and get a good idea of what the terrain is like, um, before you go in there. But, you know, with, with all the, with all that, you know, all the precautions I just gave you and all that advice, I broke all those rules <laughs> when I did them. Uh -huh. and, and, and I turned out okay. You know, yeah. I, that's great. Then, you know, I did them at parties when I was a teenager, all the things you shouldn't do. And, and I turned out all right. And, you know, and, and even though, some people do have psychotic breaks and some people really do have very extreme negative reactions. They, they've done scientific studies just over the general population and the majority of people who have had experience with psychedelics, and this is illegal recreational experience, the majority of those people are mentally healthier than the average population. Yeah. So, 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 
most people aren't harmed by them. Um, they, they, they could be dangerous psychologically. They could be extremely dangerous psychologically, but physically they're, they're, they're extremely safe in yeah. general. And I think, you know, I, pardon a little play here, but they're, they could be really quite dangerous to your egoic health. Um, and that's obviously uh, something to keep in mind. And so I want to, I want to expand a little bit, David, on what you were talking about is meditation as a preparatory um, kind of ritualistic setting, which I couldn't agree more with you. But how about, and this will tie into the meditation thing, um, when we when one has these types of experiences, you know, that, that can be absolutely 100% legitimate breakthrough or break-in experiences, what would you recommend for stabilizing that experience? I think that's a central challenge, right? Because, yeah, you know, neurologically, probably not the best to to take these agents um, with some constancy, I'm sure there's, that's where the side effects really come into play. So in your own personal experience, and then also kind of doctrinally or theoretically, um, how can one take this kind of peak and transform it into a, a plateau or this, you know, the steady glimpse and into a gaze? So what is your experience around that? It's, in other words, where's the praxis? Where's the path yeah. quality? Yeah, that's 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 a that's a really great question, Andrew. That's a really great question. Um, uh, I'm trying to remember his name. Uh, Walter Houston Smith. Yeah, Houston Smith. That's right. Yeah, yeah right. He, he 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 writes about this about how um, you know a lot of people have mystical experiences with psychedelics, but they don't end up leading a spiritual life. And and what is it that does make that difference? And um, I think it's, uh, I think there's several things. I think number, you know, like I mentioned earlier, um, psychedelic experiences are, are most powerfully transformative when they're combined with a spiritual practice. You know, it's the combination of the two that really makes them powerful. So meditating beforehand, I mean, for, for months before you have your first psychedelic experience, just to train your mind so that you can, you know, so that you can settle it when, if things become chaotic, um, is, is, is very, very important. Um, uh, I'm sorry. What, what else? What, what was well, the what to do? What other ways to to stabilize it? Um, you know, post. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. So then, the, so then the other thing is making sure you take really good notes during yeah. the experience. Ah, there you go. Very, very important to keep a journal and to write down because um, I mean you'll you'll get so many insights yep. and revelations into yep. your life, and they're easily forgotten. They can kind of just they're very ephemeral, and they can kind of come and go. So it's very important to have an audio recorder or a journal where you can write down all the insights. And then after the experience is over, not only rewrite those insights and rewrite your whole experience. Mm. Make sure you record the whole thing. Get it in your journal, um, and that helps you integrate it, um, talking to other people about it, uh, support groups where you can go and talk to other people who have had psychedelic experiences and how they integrate it into their lives. The secret is integration. The, 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 the secret is to try to, you know, keep a, um, a good accurate record of what you've learned during the experience. And if you got some kind of insight during the experience, um, you should stop smoking cigarettes or whatever it, whatever it is. Follow those insights yeah. 
you know, really, 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 really be true to what you get on the psychedelic experience. And I think that you find that the more you do that, the more you stay true to the insights, the better you recall them, and the more you can integrate them into your life, and the more you can turn something that, you know, could just be a, a, a mystical experience that could be forgotten into, into a way that you can transform your life into becoming a, a more spiritual and compassionate and uh, environmentally sensitive person. And do, you, and do you feel, therefore, David, that there's a, a certain point, you know, like like these agents, these psychedelics, really um, in an ideal situation, if there is such a thing, should be used as kind of like training wheels and then eventually the training wheels drop away? Because I, I guess, you know, you've, you, I'm sure you've heard this very famous story of Ram Das, right? He, he allegedly gave his Swami something like 25 hits of orange sunshine and, and the Swami says something like, well, like now what? You know, so like nothing really changed with him because he was already living in that kind of sort of state. And so but, yeah, but I'm going to say I, I know that story really well. Um, Paul Krasner said he didn't quite believe it. And yeah, there was some, right. They weren't quite sure if that was really true or not. Exactly. And, and, I, and I think Ram Dass himself is not 100% sure <laughs> that, yeah. that he really took it. Um, I, I know that that's, that's a really famous story. Right. It's, it's, it's wonderful if it's true. I'm right. not 100% sure it is. Yeah. I mean, a, a handful of acid. I think no matter how spiritually advanced you are, it has physical effects. Right. Your pupils dilate. Right. I mean, you know, you, it's, I, I mean, it's an interesting story. I really wonder if that story is true. But I agree with you entirely that the psychedelics are, are training wheels yeah, for, for yeah. becoming a more spiritual. And, and so, then, so then, you know, to refine this a little bit, um, because I think it's such a critical point because, you know, these agents are really finding a legitimate return. Um, and, and I'm actually, I have to tell you, my friend, I, I've changed my tune on this. I, I used to be, uh, you know, I, I still, I, I still am somewhat conservative, scientific and that sort of thing. But with your book, with Michael Pollan's book, with James Kingsland's book, um, I'm, I'm changing my tune on these agents and I'm, I'm being cautiously more supportive than I used to be. And also, you know, if you apply this within the context of integral thinking, where if you know that schema at all, this would be working with, you know, upper right um, kind of um, quadrant type things within that framework. But the question I want to ping back to you, just to really flesh this out for our audience, is what, you know, so you have this great metanoia, you have this legitimate breakthrough, you've done the right thing. Um, what should the role of these agents be, if any, after? So in other words, is, is there a viable place for a booster? Is there a place where these agents can be brought into play to reinstate that kind of transmission quality? Or should the turning wheels, in fact, be dropped and you take refuge in these deeper spiritual practices, which I think is fundamentally where it's taking you, the kind of more organic approach? But I really want to hear your impressions on this. I, I think it it varies from person to person tremendously. Um, I, I think it's a really individual and, and personal decision that, that that people make. I think for many people, they just need one single psychedelic experience in their life, and that's enough. <laughs> and just that one experience is enough to wake them up and to put them on the correct path. And they can achieve everything else through different practices. Um, Ramdas um, kept tripping his entire life. Um, he was he did he, said he did it at least once or twice a year up until he died, and uh, he said that he did this because it just helps to remind you. Yeah. It helps to remind you. You 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 do forget. Um, 
that particular state if you don't go back there sometimes. So I, I think for some people, a, a booster once a year or something like that can can help people to maintain their system. But it, but it really, really varies. Yeah. It, it also varies. Some people are just so much more sensitive. Some people do a psychedelic one time and they're fully psychedelic for the rest of their life. And yeah. some people do it many times and they're, they're barely unchanged. So it, it's really, I think, you know, when you combine it, with the intention to transform yourself, you know, when, when you're really trying to heal and really trying to improve yourself and, and become a better person. And when you really, when you really um, combine it with those techniques, I think that it's when it has the most powerful transformative effects. Yeah. It's interesting. You know, the, the, the Bajor region once said along these lines, the really cogent statement where he said, you know, the essence of spiritual practice is remembrance and so that's a beautiful way of working with these things in a very skillful way. And, and I've always wondered, David, that when people have these things, you know, I've never had an NDE, a near-death experience, but I've had uh, my share of hyperlucid dreams. I have had a couple of psychedelic experiences. And to me, it's like, you know, you're, you're working w with such foundational structures of, of, of the body, spirit, mind matrix. You know, it's like you're working with the tectonic plates of your experience. That just like with one near death experience, you know, you don't have to, you don't have to have these things. Thank goodness, over and over for them to have to have them change your life. They're so foundational. They're so undeniably true that the power of that that luminosity, that power of that breakthrough, is such that like you like you suggest, it can echo and reverberate and restructure the entirety of your entire life. Um, so, has, has it played that role in your own experience? I mean, have you had these types of shape shifting? Um, experiences through these agents? Oh, oh I, I, I definitely have. And I, I, I should definitely say that they, 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 they do actually fade for me. I mean, more, more powerful than any psychedelic or lucid dream experience that I ever had was, was the near death experience when my car, uh, the steering column snapped in it and I went flying off a cliff oh, wow. and landed a couple hundred feet, um, before impact. And, um, it was during that experience that I developed an appreciation and a reverence for life that was just almost unreal. Psychedelics didn't even come close oh, wow. to what this did for me. Um, but I, you know, and, and I, and for a while I lost all fear of everything. I mean, you know, I, I have to do a lot of public speaking and, and I lost all fear of public speaking. It was like nothing, nothing can make me afraid once I had that experience. But, it started to fade after about a year <laughs> after about yeah, a year or yeah, so, yeah. you know, it, some of the old fears and anxieties came back and, you know, the old, the old patterns of thinking came back. So, um, you know, I can see how sometimes for some people, these types of experiences, one time can be enough and can be transformative. And sometimes we'll need to have boosters to, yeah. to keep reminding them. There's just such an incredible, tendency for the human mind forget to forget to forget i mean it's you know our forgetteries are so much bigger yeah. than our memories right yeah it has great that forgetteries yeah i mean it's really the it's it's the power of habits the power of karma you know i mean it's just formidable it's just that you, what i playfully sometimes refer to as the forces of the dark side you know i mean they're they're a pretty formidable group and, and so here's another thing if we can turn in this direction very similar in spirit is, you know, the other thing that I've kind of changed my tune on again, uh, my conservative nature and also with the with the lamas that I studied 
with for decades, there's this kind of code of silence and and secrecy, which I th- which I think is really legitimate. That one shouldn't inappropriately speak about their experiences because um, you know I, I have this kind of bi-directional maxim, David, that I work with that that um, obstacles are opportunities in disguise. But I think again in the bi-directional way opportunities can be obstacles in disguise. In other words, if if experiences aren't shared properly, if they're shared with, with subversive intentions of self-aggrandizement and the like, you know, these breakthroughs can turn, these opportunities can really turn into obstacles. So with that disclaimer said, I'm starting to speak a little bit more freely about experiences, which really I, I've never done before. And you do so very courageously in your book. I, I tip my hat to you. So with that said, are you comfortable sharing with us some of the, especially in the realm of, of lucid and, and hyperlucid or superlucid dreams, are you comfortable sharing with, with us some of the types of experiences that have really rocked your boat? Because often when we get um, comments from our listeners, and I have to say, I say this, I ask this question somewhat selfishly because I, you know, I interviewed um, Robert Wagner, a mutual friend of both of ours. And I just, I could not get enough of his stories. I mean, he was he was sharing some stuff that was like, man, just bring it on. And so I, I changed my tune on that. And so with this open platform and invitation, are you comfortable sharing with us some of the experiences that have really rocked your boat in the, in the world of dreams? Sure. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm comfortable. Um, I mean, one of the most powerful uh, techniques that I, I learned from Robert Wagner was um, to learn to to uh, use the dream as kind of kind of an oracle to to ignore the uh, the dream character to ignore the environment to ignore all the desires to fly and to do all the different fun things everybody wants to do when they when they first start lucid dreaming to ignore all that and just turn your head to the sky and to speak to the dreaming mind itself, there's a, there's an, an intelligence that is that is orchestrating the dream behind the scenes, and whatever that intelligence is, whether it's a higher part of your brain, um, whether it's uh, whether it's a divine agency of some kind, whatever it is, it knows more about us than we know ourselves, and it's and it's an intelligence that we can interact with. It's a very similar intelligence, I think. Uh, to what people interact with on, on ayahuasca when they can speak to the voice or the spirit of the ayahuasca. But uh, Robert Wagner taught me to, um, to speak to the dream, to ask it questions. And um, one of the things that I really wanted to explore, I mean, one of the, um, one of the ways that I got involved in writing the book that I did, Dreaming Wide Awake, was um, originally started out as a book about my recognizing how being sexually abused as a child was uh, had influenced my life in ways that I was just completely, completely unconscious of. And I sort of, it wasn't until I was in my, my late 40s, early 50s that this became aware, to, I became aware of this. And I, I had a series of ayahuasca experiences where I, I relived uh, a lot of the experiences and and worked through them and um, had some some powerful lucid dreams where I uh, interacted with the intelligence of the dreaming mind asking it about my trauma asking it why you know I had experienced this trauma and and the you know what what were the details you know to it that that uh, affected me so much 
and um, sometimes the dreamy mind responds in English and just talks to you, and sometimes it responds by by changing the dream and just showing you scenes. And in my own case, um, I was shown um, vivid, you know, vivid scenes of, of what happened to me as, as a child, and, and that had a very transformative healing effect on me that helped uh, to reduce uh, many of the symptoms that that I had been experiencing for many years, um, uh, social anxiety, and, um, um, emotional ups and downs, and uh, and um, things like that that were definitely related to the sexual trauma that I had as a child. And so it was it was through this combination of using ayahuasca um, intentionally to try to work through this and interacting and speaking with the dreaming mind about it that led to um, an almost complete healing that um, you know that I am utterly utterly grateful for for today but but I think that you know that was that was originally what motivated me to, to write dreaming right away was my own healing from uh, from the sexual trauma that I had as a child. Wow. And so, and so do, do lucid dreams still play a, a pretty major active role in your life? I mean, have, have you been able to use lucidity as, as an ongoing path in your own journey? Yeah, I, I, you know, I, I go in and out of periods, and I mentioned earlier where I, I sometimes get very involved in, in practicing techniques, and other times I just sort of let it slip by. Um, I, I use cannabis. Um, and cannabis uh, tends to um, reduce dream recall right. tremendously. Right. And when I stop using cannabis, which which I do regularly, I, I use it on and off. And when I stop using it, my dream recall goes through the roof. Yeah. I, I mean, I go, I can remember hours of dreaming. I can write down just you know whole books of everything. And usually during those periods which I go through, I guess, you know, like once a month or every other month, I usually have lucid three or four dreams, you know, d during that week. Um, I I'm not particularly using lucid dreams right now to, to work on anything. Um, I've used them over the years when I'm working on a particular writing project, mm -hmm. uh, sometimes as a way to help get creative ideas. Um, I, I know artists who, who use it this way. Um, who you know? I know one artist who says that he he walks into a, a, a dream gallery when he's lucid dreaming oh, wow. and uh, looks at the paintings and memorizes them and then comes back and paints them when he when it's back here. So so I, I try to use it these days mostly as a as a as a creativity enhancer or as a way of of uh, creative problem solving. Sometimes if I'm trying to figure something out, but um. But I, I, I still enjoy it regularly just for the pure love and passion yeah. and enjoyment of Isn't it. it? Yeah. There is something that's just remarkably fun about yeah. being conscious in a dream Isn't every it? single time. Every single it time. happens to me. I get excited and happy and I love it and I want it to last forever. It's yeah. Just, 
Yeah, I, I, I playfully sometimes talk about it is is the practice of learning how to wake up on the right side of the bed, you know, every time you have a dream, because it really does. It 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 really for me, same thing. It perfumes my my entire day. I mean, I wake up with a smile on my face and going, and I've got thousands of these things, and it, it, it never ceases to amaze me. It's like, wow, this is like yeah. freaking unbelievable. So it's such a guess. So one last thing here, my friend. You know, the the other really powerful part of your book is, and we get a lot of questions about this is how you write so eloquently about using um, lucidity and the dream state altogether for purposes of healing. I mean, you uh, you obviously did that in your own experience. So tell us a little bit more about that. And in particular, you know, maybe even stretching the, the territory a little bit into physical healing, because there's some really interesting, compelling anecdotal evidence. You, you riff on it, Stephen LeBerge riffs on it, that um, working with lucidity can actually um, potentiate physical healing. So talk to us a little bit about that. This is a really popular topic in, in our forum. Yeah, Robert Wagner told me that um, he gets more submissions to his uh, quarterly lucid dream journal about people who have healing than, than almost anything else yeah. with their lucid dreams. So it's, it is, it's very, very common. It, it, unfortunately, there's only a few case studies. It hasn't been studied scientifically, so there's no scientific data to go on, unfortunately. There is, it's, it's just crying for, for a scientific Isn't study. It? Yeah, I you know I've got a number of anecdotes from people that I've heard. Um, you know, uh, uh, one person, you know, one uh, I got one anecdote about uh, someone who had a um, serious uh, tonsil infection. Um, they had they had skewed the back of their throat with a with um, I guess like with some kind of eating utensil or something, right. and um, and had a and totally inflamed. Um, infection and when they had a lucid dream that night they imagined a, a glowing light uh, around that area in their in their throat and when they woke up around uh, 90 or 95 percent of the infection was gone um, just that dramatically so there's a very powerful anecdote of somebody who was able to to do some physical healing um, somebody else told me how they were able to heal somebody else's they were able to heal the leg in somebody else's body yeah. that, they, that they had the intention in the lucid dream of traveling to somebody else's um to somebody else's mind and and helping them with their uh with their physical ailment and didn't tell them that they did this but the person reported to them how much better that their leg was feeling wow. So, so there, this is again. These are areas that that really should be um, scientifically studied. You know, you mentioned earlier about how you, when you wake up from a lucid dream, you know, you're in a great mood for the whole day. My um, my uh, my lucid dream retreat partner, uh, Lana Sackwile, mm -hmm. is, Lana. Actually, is yeah. actually doing a, a study right now um, where she's looking at the antidepressant effects of lucid dreaming. Oh, wow. apparently, apparently, it has. Um, very, very powerful antidepressant effects. Um, let me just also, since I mentioned Lana and we're talking about this, I want to bring up that um, in um, April, totally. we're going to be doing a, um, a three-day uh, retreat um, in Boulder, Colorado, where me and Lana are going to be uh, teaching these techniques and people will get chances to try these supplements and we'll be practicing the techniques on the two nights that 
sweeping over. So it's a wonderful opportunity to really um, learn in depth dreaming um, about the science, about the nutritional supplements, about the stages of sleep, and and Lana's also a dream expert. So gosh, I'm forgetting the, the dates now. I don't remember what they were. I think it's eight, April 7th and 8th. I, I think that's right. 7th, 8th, and 9th, like the first week in April. I was just actually looking that up. I, I mean, I can get that super quickly here. But yeah, she's, yes. a, she's a jewel. I, I met her and was immediately drawn to her integrity and expertise in this area. So yeah, it's April 10th through 12th, actually. Okay, April 10th through 12th. So if anyone's interested in that, um, go to uh, Lana Sackwilds, com, and they'll be on the first page of Dreaming Wide Awake um, post about retreat. But, uh, but yeah, so that'd be a way for people want to learn more about this. But um, but Lana's doing really interesting research right now and um, looking at its effects, its antidepressant effects. And I think that's there's a great potential for that in the future. And that's also something that hasn't really been mentioned or, or studied. But uh, almost everybody that wakes up from a lucid dream um, is in a good mood when they are. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no kidding, huh? And so, you know, you're, you're, these comments here are actually somewhat prescient because as we start to wrap up our own conversation, I always like to close, David, with, with – um, the opportunity for our guests to share a little bit about these sorts of things, like how can people learn more about you? Um, what are you currently working on that that we can possibly support? You know, just give us some some way because you know, part of the chart of what we're doing here is the kind of cross pollination theme where you know I, I'm sort of the, the orchestrator of what we do here at our nightclub, but very much what we're involved in is not only bringing. Um, like-minded practitioners together, but also like-minded um, expert scholars like yourself, where we, we can just create this kind of more open forum for communication and support. So with that said, tell our listeners how they can learn more about you, and then maybe a little bit about like, what are you working on right now? Okay, yeah, thank you for that. And thank you for the wonderful work you're doing, really. I'm very impressed and, and oh, very appreciate that. Of the great work that you're doing. Thank you. Thank you very much. Very kind. Um, so, yeah, so, by, so the main thing I'm focusing on right now, as I mentioned, is there's the retreat that we're doing in April. Again, it's uh, uh, .com, um to find out about the, re the retreat that we're doing. Um, I'm currently working on a new book of interviews. Um, one of the – I've written 16 books now. Oh, wow. And I think six of them are, are collections of interviews. I, I love interviewing cool. um uh, brilliant scientists and great thinkers and brilliant artists and asking them all kinds of deep philosophical questions that they never usually get asked. I've interviewed everyone from Noam Chomsky to Jerry Garcia to, to Timothy Leary, awesome. you know, to uh, George Carlin. I've really been very fortunate to speak with some great minds. I just, uh, I just uh, completed an incredible interview with Andrew Gallimore, who's doing um, this uh, amazing research with DMT. Oh, wow. And uh, yeah, great. To me. So that's for my new book, which is basically going to be about the future evolution of the human species. Is the if we if we have one, we have one <laughs> it's, it's questionable whether whether we're going to survive as a species. But uh, but if we do, uh, I think we're going into some amazing amazing direction. So I'm exploring that with some brilliant scientists. And um, my website is uh, www davidjbrown.com and on the website is uh, is archived many of the interviews and articles that I've done over the years 
Um, if people want to interact with me, um, the best way is I'm on Facebook and I'm active on Facebook. Um, you can, um, you can friend or follow me. Um, and I have a fan page and, and uh, I guess that's what we're working on right now. I guess those are the, those are the main things. Um, that's going to. I'm going to be doing more. I just got back from Las Vegas where I did a retreat there or workshop there. And I'm going to be doing a lot more uh, Lucid Dream workshops in the future. Fantastic. And, yeah. Well, David, it's been a, a really just such a delight. I mean, you're, you're an amazing resource. You're a polymath. You bring such a breadth of scholarship, um, kind of an intrepid spirit, you know, as a, as a a spelunker of the mind, you know, deep deep diver of the mind, and so this this really wide net that you cast, um, and the willingness to step into the terrain and not just work with the level of the map, is really inspiring. I I, I got just such a, a terrific kick out of your book, um, just such a treasure trove of of incredible quotations, references, and studies. So, thank you so much, my dear friend, for taking time out of your very busy schedule to chat with us. We really appreciate it. And uh, we'll do our very best in whatever way we can to support you with your continuing journey because you're doing some great stuff in the world. Uh, I can't thank you enough for the, for the kind work, work you're doing, really. Very most appreciative and uh, would love to do this again sometime. Yeah, let's, let's definitely stay in touch. And, and uh, we both have books coming out, and so maybe we can circle around and, and, and riff on some stuff in a future conversation. I, for, I for one, would certainly appreciate it. But uh, between now and then, dear one, have a have a – a beautiful evening and, and of course enjoy this dream that we call life all the best to you all the best to you thank you so much take care bye now okay it's been a pleasure bye for now